Today's temple theology. Uh, my wife and I, one of the ways that we relax as a couple is uh, we get our kids to bed and then once they're all finally done and you know like one of them is, we're in this space right now where one of them, it's at least six or seven times down the stairs. Like at least six or seven times, I'm scared, I'm tired, I'm just getting a drink of water, I've got to go to the bathroom, in your bathroom, uh, I'm just, just coming, and, and, then I, and then it's the sincerity, because I just wanted a hug from my dad, is that too much? <laughs> I've given you seven, I've prayed over you, I've kissed you, I laid in your bed with you, like, yeah, it's too much now, go to bed. I don't care how cute and how sweet it sounds, but once we get the kids all together, and they're all, they're all asleep, they're all in bed. Anna and I, we sit down in our bed, and we find a TV show to binge. And we just, we just yes, Netflix and chill, whatever it may be. I, now I know that's code for something else, too. <laughs> We're married, so, you know, it kind of goes with the territory. <laughs> but we watch TV show, and uh, we, we start watching these shows, and invariably, here's what happens every single time. I turn the show on, and Anna gets on her phone, and 20 minutes later, she says, wait, pause it. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> no kidding, right? Oh, you're, you're joking. You don't know what's going on. And she's like, hey, can you just tell me really quick what's happening? I'm like, honey, it's been 25 minutes of a show. Like, there, there's, there's no way. And she's like, just, just tell me really, really quickly. And so I, I share with her like little bits and pieces. And then the entire time during the show, she's like, why would they do that? They weren't, why are they even together right now? I'm like, well, that happened 20 minutes ago when you were there. And so then she says to me, I'm sick of this show. I don't like it. I'm like, why don't you like it? She's like, because I have no clue what's going on, right? And I'm like, honey, you can't start watching a show in the middle and know exactly what's happening throughout the whole story. And there, there are certain themes and theologies in the Bible that you just, you have to start in Genesis and you have to end in Revelation. In fact, N.T. Wright, who's one of my favorite scholars, he says, never trust a man who builds a theology on one verse. Never trust someone who just, just picks a verse, builds a theology, and here you go, because theology is from Genesis to Revelation, taking what God is doing and seeing it come to full fruition. I don't know that anything but does that better than the temple. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend the first 10 minutes build a theology of the temple. We'll start in Genesis, we'll go all the way through to Second Temple Judaism, and then I promise you this will make sense, okay? It's gonna feel like Jewish History 101, and then it's going to begin to make sense when we connect the dots. So, are you ready for Jewish history? Good Jews, here we go. All right, uh, number one, the temple, we have to know this. The temple has always been symbolic of God's desire for relationship with us. Genesis 1, 1 through 2 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, okay? Very beginning of the Bible, there is nothing, it's void, and out of darkness, God begins to build something. And what does he build? Genesis 2, 15 through 17. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden. That's the first temple. 
to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you shall surely die. So Adam and Eve are in the garden and we blame the woman, right? And Eve gets the apple, she takes the bite and all of a sudden they rebel in the first temple against what God had told them to do. So they eat the fruit, they break fellowship with God, a flood destroys the garden temple, first temple is over with. Moving on to the next one. Fast forward to the Exodus, the Exodus narrative, the children of Israel, they're in Egyptian captivity, okay? And they are led out by Moses, and when they're in the wilderness, God wants to be with them. God desires to meet with them. What did God want with Adam and Eve? To be with them. What does God want with the children of Israel in the wilderness? To be with them. So he calls them to build a sanctuary where he may dwell. Exodus 25, verse 8. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I may live among them. They do it. And God does. God comes down, God lives among them, and then the same thing happens. They break fellowship with God through a golden calf in Exodus 32, and then later demand a king, 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 8. It says, finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have, verse 6. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Verse 7, do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want, to be with me. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. So David becomes king. David wants to build a temple for the Lord, but the Lord comes to David and says, you've shed too much innocent blood, you're not the guy, but your son Solomon is the guy to build the temple. First Chronicles 28, 6-7. He said to me, your son Solomon will build my temple in its courtyards, for I have chosen him as my son, and I will be his father. And if he continues to obey my commands and regulations, as he does now, I will make his kingdom last forever. So Solomon builds the most magnificent temple the world has ever seen. There was an economist who did a study on the tonnage of gold that Solomon used. And he said in today's pricing, Solomon would have used $194 billion worth of gold in the temple. That does not include silver and bronze and fine linens and everything else. So you have this $194 billion gold decorated temple for God that Solomon constructs. And I'll give you one guess at what the children of Israel did. They rebelled. Rebelled again. Messed it up again. God literally has the greatest dwelling place on the face of the planet, and he comes there to meet with his people, and they rebel. Jeremiah 2, 4 through 5 says, listen to the word of the Lord. People of Jacob, all your families of Israel, this is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshiped idols only to become worthless themselves. Jeremiah 52, 12 through 13. On August 17th of that year, 
which was the ninth year of the king Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard and the official of the, king, of the Babylonian king, arrived in Jerusalem. He burned down the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings in the city. So what is the cycle that we see so far? God longs for presence with his people. And he makes an intentional effort to create a place where his presence can dwell among his people. And what did they do from Adam and Eve to the children of Israel in the wilderness to now the children of Israel with the most beautiful dwelling place for God on the face of the planet? Over and over, they rebelled. Over and over, they tried to become their own boss. Over and over, they tried to do it themselves. Over and over, they wanted to do their own way. And every single time, here was the cycle. God tries to have relationship. Children of Israel rebel. They're left to their own same circumstances of destruction. Sound familiar? God wants to connect with me. God wants to do a work in me. God wants to transform me and renew my heart and renew my mind and set me free. But I rebel against that. And because of my rebellion, all I'm left to is myself. And myself, I keep messing it up. I keep making these decisions that I don't want to do. Paul talks about that in the book of Romans. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, what do I do with this cycle of continual? God wants me, I rebel, now I'm left to myself. And, and you'll notice this with the children of Israel. Every single time they didn't try to change themselves, they tried to change their circumstances. Every single time, they did not try to change themselves, they tried to change their circumstances. Well, maybe we just need to be on our own and make our own idol and fashion a golden calf. Well, maybe we need to be our own king and we don't need God to be our king. Well, maybe we need to live in a new land and not live in this land. And over and over and over, they tried to change their circumstances without changing their heart and the result was the same. Listen, changing your circumstances will not change you. How many times have I heard people say, well, I just, maybe I need to get a divorce. Maybe that will fix the problem that's going on. Maybe I need to have an affair. Maybe I need a girlfriend on the side. Maybe I need to start a new job. Maybe I need to start doing this. Maybe I need to get rid of these people. Changing your circumstances is not going to change what's going on here if your heart is not renewed, if it hasn't become a tabernacle. It's the children of Israel all over again. Let's avoid ourselves and fix what's going on around us. So here we go. They try to change over and over and over. We step into the second temple. They go into Babylonian captivity. They come out of Babylonian captivity. And Ezra... <coughs> Ezra is leading the charge into the second temple. Ezra 1, 1 through 3, in the first year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled a prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in, Jud in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the, Lord, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Okay, 
What happens after this is what's called Second Temple Judaism. It's also called an intertestamental period. It's between the, the last documents we have written of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament. And the biggest thing that happened here was the dispersion of the Jews, okay? So they all went into captivity. They were all dispersed all over the world. They all came back together and they had their own way of being Jewish. You have Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and on and on and on and on. So now they're all divided and they're fighting inside the temple, right? They're arguing inside the temple of this is how Judaism should be done or this is how Judaism should be done. You remember John chapter 2, Jesus walks into that temple and he destroys that temple because they had turned it into a den of thieves. So we have this second century Judaism that is now the second temple Judaism that's happening. And then in 70 AD, the Jews revolt against Rome. Rome comes, they destroy the temple and we're left without a temple again. Catch up to right now. What does all of that mean to me? You're sitting there like, man, I should have done what your wife did and just ran through Facebook the first part of that uh, until you got to the good stuff, right? So here we are. We've had two temples. We've had three temples, two that were built, one that God created. All have been destroyed from rebellion. And now we're sitting here with the last one that's been destroyed, 70 AD, and we're asking ourselves, what does all of this mean? First of all, back to uh, Anna and I's relaxation habits. We watch these shows, and this show that we're watching, I am like hesitant to even tell you because it's, it's just such a corny, cheesy TV show. Uh, now I have to, right? Um, oh, it's so bad. I'm going to be judged so bad for this. Uh, and don't watch it, by the way. It's not any good, but it's the OC. It's an old, yeah, right, right? All of you in your late 30s, you're like, oh, I watched that before, right? It's, it is this show about these rich kids in Orange County, and it's just, it's terrible. It's no good. It's not entertaining at all. It's the sitcom, by the way. It's not the reality show. And there is this character on this show. His name is Seth, and Seth is in love with Summer, and Summer has no clue. And Seth makes every effort under the sun. He rescues her when she is falling. He shows up to the cotillion when she has no date. He is there for her when she goes through her first heartbreak. And all the time, she, is, she doesn't even remember his name. She keeps calling him all of these different names and everything else. And then finally, there comes this part in the, in the TV show where she looks at him and she's like, hey, would you introduce me to your cute, rich friend? You know, And he says, no, Summer. And he said, it's me, it's me. He said, nobody knows your favorite color. Nobody knows your favorite meal. Nobody remembers the poem you wrote in third grade. Nobody remembers when you went to this dance and you wore this pink, and, and she's like, she's, you know, she's falling for him, right? She's like, oh, right there on the spot. She's like, I, I finally recognize this is the person who wants a relationship with me. Kind of a bad illustration, but that's what we see through the temples, right? God is desiring a relationship with us. What do we see from Adam and Eve to the first temple, to the second temple, to now where we'll catch up? We see a God who is desperately trying to have relationship with us. So what does that mean for us today? It means three things. Number one, Jesus came. Number two, I become, and number three, we build. Here's where it all begins to make sense. Number one, Jesus came. So John 1, verse 14, 
It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. Circle that word, his home, home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. That Greek word for home among us is the word skino. It's a verb, an action verb that literally means to tabernacle. So he's saying when Jesus came, Jesus came to literally build the tabernacle among us. He came to tabernacle with his people. He stepped in to humanity and his mission was to tabernacle. In Revelation 21, when God comes down to dwell with his people for the millennial reign, Revelation 21 verse 3, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. God skinos among them. God is tabernacling among them. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. So Jesus came. We're, we're, we're catching up in Jewish history to a group of people that are looking for answers because everywhere where they've experienced God's presence in their history has been destroyed. Everywhere that they have, they have thought they had a glimpse of connection with God, it's been destroyed. And now Jesus shows up and they say, Jesus came to tabernacle among us. What does that mean? John 1, 15 through 18, he finishes the narrative. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Here it is, this is what it means, Jesus came. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. But the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart and he has revealed God to us. Jesus coming and tabernacling among us is God's presence literally coming to dwell within us so he has a place to live in our hearts. And the whole purpose of that is to reveal the faithfulness and love of God to us. The whole purpose of Jesus coming is to reveal God's heart to us. It is, it is always on display. When you are pursuing Jesus, you are pursuing the heart of God. It's how you find the heart of God. How do you find what God longs for? You pursue it through Jesus. My son, um, I, I have these things called air tags. Anyone familiar with air tags? Use air tags. I love air tags. I've got them on everything that I lose, including my kids. My kids have these little bands and they have air tags within them and I track them, right? And I know where they're at. And so my son, he was being slick. He wanted to play hide and seek. And I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, let's do it. And on the air tag, you know, if you go to the Find My app, you can click Find. And I think they have a video of it. And like, once you click Find, this screen comes up and it starts this arrow. Yeah, see, this is so cool. So you have it, you have your air tag, it's lost, you can't find it, you click Find, and it points you to it. And you like, you go directly to it. It takes you, I mean, to right on top of the air tag, and then it's here. So Canaan's like, Dad, I want to play hide and seek. And I was like, I guarantee you, wherever you hide, I can find you. 
And he was like, fine, on. He's hiding in the washing machine. He's hiding in the attic. He is like, he is hiding in the greatest places you could ever hide. And here I am, and I just, I have this air tag, and all of a sudden he'll be hiding under the bathroom sink in the cabinet behind the toilet paper, and I'm like, and he's like, how did you know? How did you find me? And finally I showed him, I said, I have something that takes me to you every single time. Jesus came to tabernacle among us so that we could be taken into relationship with God. And every single time when we pursue Jesus, Jesus came so that I can live in relationship with God. What do I do because of that? I become. So Jesus came so I can become. 1 Corinthians 3.17. It says, God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God brought you, bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. This is really cool because Jesus tabernacling among us was a Greek verb. It meant action. He was building a tabernacle. But when he talks about us being the tabernacle, it's a Greek noun. In other words, we're the place that it dwells. So we no longer have to go to a place to find God. We become a vessel where God can live. You understand that, right? There's nothing sacred about this building. There's no, there is nothing sacred and nothing holy about this building. What is holy is the people that are inside of it that are vessels where God's spirit dwells. That's what's sacred around this place. That's what's holy around this place. And so we become, as people, Jesus came so that I can become the new temple where God can dwell. In other words, Jesus came to build what I become. Jesus came to build in me what I become as a fully devoted follower of him. So Jesus came, I become, we have to finish, I'm sorry, uh, and then we build. We end here, 1 Peter 2 verse 5. It says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Here it comes full circle. In Revelation 21 and 22, when God comes down and he begins to tabernacle among us and he builds it, there is this extraordinary picture of God constructing the city of God right in the center of Jerusalem, right? And there is one thing that is clearly missing, a temple. Why? Because we're all together with God. Because we have become the temple. We've become the living stones. And what does Peter say? Peter says our job is to be the holy priests building that temple. How do we build that temple? One, we become the place where God can dwell. And two, we go and share it with other people. We go and share a temple life of living, becoming a living stone, a place where God can dwell, a place where God can do something within you. It is our calling at the end of the day to become what Jesus has came to build so that we can go and share what Jesus has done in me with other people so that we can build the living stones of the temple. Canaan was talking to me on his way to school. He's, these, these kids are crazy, man. And I'm, I'm riding in my truck, and Canaan says, hey, Dad, 
He says, what do, you, what do you do if an alligator's chasing you? Fair enough. I said, you, you run really fast and climb really high. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, they can't climb very well, so you run really fast and you climb really high. He said, well, what if you can't climb fast enough? And I said, best of luck, pal. I'll see you in heaven someday. <laughs> and then he asked me, he said, dad, he said, if, if an alligator eats you, does the alligator go to heaven with you when you die? Yeah, I know what he's thinking. He's like, shoot, am I going to be running from alligators in heaven too? <laughs> like, does the portal open and we all just go through it, right? So he said, Dad, is he going to come, is he gonna come with me? And I said, no, bud. No, I said, the alligator doesn't. And he, and he we're on our way to school. I'm trying to keep him happy, right? I'm like, what's wrong, dude? He's like, well, it's just not right. The alligator goes to hell now. I said, don't you want the alligators in hell, son? Like, he's like, it's just not right that the alligator's going to go to hell, and I go to heaven, and he ate me, and I don't know what. And I said, well, bud, I said, you, you can't take him with you. you. You can't take it with you. And he was like, well, what do you mean, dad? And we, we start having this conversation of like, son, just because you're a living stone doesn't mean everybody goes with you. Doesn't mean your friends go with you. Being your friend does not get somebody into heaven. Being your friend that knows what's changed your life and transformed you and starting to embrace that themselves, that's what gets people into heaven. You being the parent, a Christian does not get your kids into heaven. That's a truth we have to grapple with. That's a reality that should be a deep and burning conviction of our hearts that we, have, we can't take people with us unless they know what we are and how we've become what we are. So he asked me, so what if I tell the alligator about Jesus? I said, while he's eating you? He said, no, I'd do it right before. <laughs> I said, then yes, he comes to heaven, son. Let's just let him, let him finally get through the doors. But listen, from the heart of a six-year-old and the compassion of a six-year-old to an alligator, do we have the same? Do we burn with the thought that, man, people around me, they need to know Jesus. People around me, they need to become the temple that I am. People around me need to become a living stone, and together we need to build the kingdom by letting everyone know Jesus came, so I become, and we build together.